your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 40. The book of Genesis, chapter 40. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's not just the beginning of the 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 of mankind or the beginning of the world. That's in the early part, but you also see the beginnings of God interacting with God's people and, and people and human human responses to God and, and the interaction and, and how God, how people trusted God. We see that here in the book of, uh, we see that here in the book of, of Genesis. Am I passing out or did something just happen? All right. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not having a stroke up here because you kind of faded for just a moment there. I'm giving a hard time to these guys. I really appreciate these guys who help us with lights and sound and visuals and so forth. Um, we are continuing with this series of messages on the life of Joseph, the life of Joseph. We call him the dreamer because God gave Joseph a dream. We call him the dreamer because God gave Joseph a dream. Um, uh, not only gave him a dream, but he gave him the power to interpret dreams. He did all of that. God gave Joseph a dream. Uh, there were no details, there, were, there, there was no explanation, but there was this simple image, uh, actually he had two dreams, both of them, in both dreams, he dreamt that his family would bow down to him. That's it, that's all he saw, but it was life-changing. It, it wasn't the whole picture, it was just a small part of the picture. But it changed his life, and in that moment he became the dreamer. And we have seen, we have seen in these recent weeks, how God-given dreams can be forfeited at various times. And we see that with Joseph's story. Uh, Joseph's dream that God gave him could have been abandoned when Joseph was at the bottom of a pit, at the bottom of a well or a cistern. When he was about to be sold into slavery by his brothers, he could have lost the dream then, but he didn't. Later, the dream could have been destroyed if he had slept with the boss's wife, the boss's wife who repeatedly propositioned him. But he said no repeatedly, and the dream survived. Joseph's dream could have died had he surrendered to the bitterness and the resentment that I'm sure he was tempted with when he was thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit. But we found so far with Joseph's story, the dreamer's story, that again and again and again, time after time, the dream could have died, but it didn't. And as I've done in recent weeks, so I do now, that is that God has given many of you dreams. Again, like Joseph, he's not given you the full picture. It may not have happened at night, but God spoke something into, you heart, into your heart. He gave you a, a, a vision, a dream, a, a burden, a calling, a, 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 a compulsion almost to, to do something or to become something that God is calling you to do or to become. It's a God-given dream. Not, not a man-driven dream, but a God-given dream. God has given 
And, and I know that because many of you in these recent weeks have come up to me. In fact, I think more than almost any other series I've ever done, more of you have come up to me and said, you know what, boy, that really ministered to me last week because, or last Sunday or two weeks ago or three weeks ago because God has, God has given me a dream. And, and I've, I've, I've done this long enough to know that if, if 15 or 20 people do that, then that, boy, that, uh, there's a lot of people who haven't shared it, but God has given you dreams. God has given you an idea, an awareness, something that he wants you to do, something that he wants you to become, and it's for his glory. The dreams are often things, that the ones that he gives us, will often affect other people. It's not just something that you want to accomplish, and boy, you can check that box and say, I did this, but rather, the dreams that God gives will almost always affect other people. Maybe not in your lifetime, maybe in the life after you're gone. And it will always bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God-given dreams are ultimately not about us, it's about Him. The dream that God gave Joseph in his vision, in that dream rather that God gave him, um, he saw his family bowing down to him, but as we will find out in coming weeks, it really wasn't about, about them worshiping him. That he just saw that image, but there was a greater purpose and it involved God's people and people beyond God's people. But it brought glory to the Lord Jesus, to, to, to God. This is long before Jesus arrived, but brought glory to God. So, Joseph was in prison. We've looked at his story up to this point. He's been falsely accused by Mrs. Potiphar. He's placed in prison. And the first four words of Genesis chapter 40, verse 1, you have it in front of you, read this way, some time after this. Those are the first four words of verse 1, Genesis chapter 40. Sometime after this, that, that quite simply means that Joseph had been there for some time. But you need to understand that when you see this in Scripture, it doesn't just mean, you know, He'd been there for a couple of weeks. It could mean, sometime could mean he had been there for some years. We looked at his time frame, or the, the timeline rather, of Joseph, and, and we know that from the time that he became a slave until the time that he ceased to become a prisoner was 13 years. We don't know how far he is into this, but he's been doing this for some time. Twelve chapters of Genesis cover Joseph's story, and he gets more space than any other person in the book of Genesis. And those twelve chapters near the end of the book of Genesis record both the highs and the low moments of Joseph's life. It records both. It doesn't record everything about his life, but it records the highs and the lows. It does not record all of the mundane. Can you imagine all of that record for years? You know, got up, cleaned the cell, organized the volleyball team, ate supper, went to bed. Get up the next day, cleaned the cell, made license plates for chariots, uh, and, and, then, and then, you know, ate supper and went to bed. I mean, the mundane. 
It records, those 12 chapters record the highs and the lows, but, but we're talking about a lot of years in this man's life. What's not recorded are the uneventful weeks and months or the years. You see, I want you to understand, I, I mention that because Joseph was in an obscure place for a long period of time, for some time. He's in an obscure place. It's not a place of prominence. It's not a place of power, though he did exercise some degree of authority. We've seen that even in this place, but he, he's not in a prominent place. He's not in a well-known place. Outside of prison, he is known as an inmate or maybe as a slave or an attempted rapist. That's what he's known outside. Further away, he's known as that brother that we sold off into slavery and is probably dead. He's not in a prominent place. He's in an obscure place. Here's the thing. God shapes people in obscure places. Think about that. God shapes people in obscure places. Some of the great people in this book. In fact, I will say even this, some of the greatest people in this book were people who were shaped and prepared in obscure places. That's one of the common denominators that you see in great people throughout the Word of God. People like Abraham, who lived before Joseph. Moses, who lived after, and Gideon, and Ruth, and John the Baptist, and, and Mary, and the Apostle Paul. All of those people were prepared and shaped, not in prominent places, but in obscure places. When you think about it, even Jesus himself, the Son of God, though he was unique in every way from all of the others that I just mentioned, 91%, almost 91% of Jesus' life is unrecorded, his earthly life. It's unrecorded. We know very little of what happened between his infancy and the beginning of his ministry at age 30. Just a few small little windows. Almost nothing we know during that time. Jesus was in an obscure place. God was shaping him and preparing him. Why? You say, well, he was Jesus. Why did he need to be shaped and prepared? Because the book of Philippians tells us that he emptied himself of all of that. He had to learn. He had to grow. He had to memorize those scriptures. Jesus was being shaped in an obscure place for much of his life. See, God shapes people. And he prepares people for their God-given dreams in out-of-the-way and often difficult places. And I point that out, this line here, just this one line for some time, uh, I point that out because God is shaping many of you and he's preparing many of you in an obscure place and he's doing it, he's going to do it for some time. Now, that's not necessarily cheerful news because you're thinking, let's speed it up, let's expedite this, let's move it along. It's taking too long. But God has a purpose and he shapes people in obscure places. He's preparing many of you. There are no blank spaces in the life that is surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there may be blank spaces in your biography if someday somebody writes it. Don't hold out for that. There may be some blank spaces, but 
There are no blank spaces in regards to God. Every one of those that are in obscurity, uh, all of those things that are happening in your life, none of those are blank spaces. God is preparing you. In fact, God, the, the person that God greatly uses is often greatly prepared even more so in obscure places for some time. There are no blank spaces in the life surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Bible says, again, you see it before you, that Joseph had been in prison for some time. And then two other persons became fellow prisoners. Verse 1 again reads, Some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the, their lord, the king of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. There are these two men, their names are never recorded, uh, but they had served, had served, past tense, had served a very powerful man. In fact, he was the most powerful man in all of Egypt. He was the Pharaoh, which is another word for king of Egypt. I mean, these guys had, these guys knew what it was like to be in, in very obvious, very prominent, and very powerful places. One man, it says, had been Pharaoh's baker, the man who prepared his food, not just his pastries and, you know, his morning toast and that kind of thing, but, but it, was, it was the person who was overseeing his food preparation. And the other one was his cupbearer, and, and, and his responsibility was to oversee what the, what the king drank. Uh, just a little historical note here. Uh, at that time, the number one way, if you wanted to get rid of someone, you didn't drop a bomb because there weren't bombs. You didn't, you, you, you didn't use a sniper rifle. There weren't such things. You would poison them. And so, so they, they, they very carefully guarded their food and their wine, their drink, whatever they drank. These two persons, the chief baker and the chief cupbearer, or some translations say butler, they were, they, they were trusted positions. We speculate, there's a supposition here that maybe there had been an attempt on Pharaoh's life or he'd become very, very ill and somebody was suspected of trying to kill him and so they took the two guys who were most, uh, who, were, who were in these positions and, and put them in prison while the king got better or while they figured out who was actually guilty. We don't know that for sure, but that's a pretty good guess of, of what may have happened here, why they were in prison. But they had been, they had been, had been, past tense, they had been in trusted positions, but now, like Joseph, they were prisoners in the king's prison. It's amazing how fast they went from one of the highest places to one of the lowest places. Yet both men were also a part of God's plan. And there's a lot I could say about this, but because of time, I won't. But I will say this, that God has a way of arranging people to intersect with other people for a divine purpose. God had a greater plan than just seeing two guys in prison. He wanted these two guys to intersect with another man who is in prison. And I say that because there may be some of you who are thinking, 
I need to make right connections with people. But listen, the life, remember, this is qualified, the life that is surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, he can arrange things far better with people than you ever could. So God, in his great plan, bigger than Joseph, bigger than these men, brings them together because he has a greater plan. They, this chief baker and chief cupbearer, were part of God's plan. Verse 4 again says this, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. I want you to see that word, attended them. Another translation says he took care of them. He cared for them or he took care of them. Now, I I want you to see that, and you see it there in verse 4, he attended them or he cared for them. I want you to see that because in time, you have to understand, and this is, uh, what do you call it, a spoiler alert, right? If you don't know his story, you're about to find out the end result. In time, Joseph would care for the feeding of all the people of Egypt. Think about that. Now, that's, that's big responsibility. In time, he would care for the feeding. During a time of famine, he would care for the feeding of all the people of Egypt, every person. And not only the people of Egypt, he would also care for people from other lands who would come looking for relief from the same famine that was greater than just Egypt. But before he cared for the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, before he cared for them, it says here that he gave himself and he cared, he gave of himself and he cared for his fellow inmates in the king's prison. So if you're taking notes this morning, you need to write this down and that is in God's great plan, leaders serve. In God's great plan, leaders serve. In God's great plan, uh, in, in the world's plan, in the world's understanding, it is, it is the person at the top of the heap is served. In, in Egyptian court society, it was everyone served the Pharaoh. That's how people understood it. But God has a different plan. In God's plan, in God's great plan, leaders serve. And so here's this Joseph. He is like, he's like a nobody. He's less than a nobody because now he's, he's an, in, in that, he was more than a nobody, but in people's understandings, he was less than a nobody. He's a, he's a convicted, attempted rapist. And, and he's, he's, he's incarcerated. But God looks at him and he sees him differently. And it says he cares for these people, but before he cared for the vast multitudes, he's first faithful to care for two guys who are new in prison. God gave Joseph his abilities, but Joseph then gave of his abilities, and he cared for people in the prison before God used him in the palace. God used him to care for people under the worst of circumstances when nobody cared, when nobody observed, so that God could use him and prepare him to care for hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people when everybody observed him. Again, God's preparing this man in an obscure place. Listen to me. If you give and if you serve in difficult times, then you will also give and you will serve in good times. 
Now, that's, that's a principle that runs from the book of Genesis all the way to the very end, the book of Revelation. You will see that principle running throughout the entire Word of God. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, said that if you are faithful with little, I will place you in charge of much. Joseph here in the prison is faithful with two guys who are new arrivals. It says he attended them, he served them, he cared for them, and God was preparing him. Yet it goes both ways. I mentioned just a moment ago how Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 10, that he said, if you're faithful with few things, I'll place you in charge of many. But Jesus also went on to say that if you are not faithful with a few things, then I will take away even what you have. You will not only not receive greater responsibility, but I will take away the responsibility that you presently have. You know, that's a pretty important principle. That, that applies to every one of us. If God has given you something, entrusted you with something, it doesn't matter what it is, the time, abilities, uh, possessions, uh, resources, if God has given you something, then you are to be responsible with it. And if you are responsible with that, Jesus even told a parable about that, remember? The parable of the steward. That if you're faithful with much, he'll give you more, but if you're not faithful with even just a little bit, even that will be taken from you. Think of the things that God has given you. Some of you are immediately thinking of financial resources, and you go, oh, it doesn't apply to me. Oh, he's given everybody something. He's given you abilities, or he's given you time, or he's given you health. He's given you resources, many. He's given you many, many things, and so my question is to you, not to shout out the answer, but to ask yourself and answer, what has God given you that you're being faithful with? Along with this promise that if you're faithful with what he's given you, he will give you more. If you use it for his glory, then he will give you more. And this is important because Giving has little to do with a person's economics or time or convenience. Giving has everything to do with a person's heart. How many people? Let me say that again. You see it before you there. Giving has little to do with a person's economics or time or convenience. Giving has everything to do with a person's heart. How many, how many, how many people look at what they have and they go, oh, this isn't very much. And yet, if they give it with a great heart, then that's really the important thing. How many people look and say, well, I, I don't have enough time, or I don't have very many abilities, or, or, or I, I don't have very much money, uh, and so therefore I, I won't give of any of those things because I have such a lack of something. And, 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 and they're, they're never given more. And then another person says, I don't have very much, but what I do have, I will use to minister to someone else to serve someone else. And then God gives them more. And then they're faithful with that, and God gives them more. And then they're faithful with that, and God gives them more. So, Joseph is serving here. They're confined together. They're in this place, 
And, and I don't know how long it took. I don't know how long that, you know, they were roommates, bunkmates, cellmates. <laughs> I don't know how long they had been there, but I suppose that in the confinement and the grinding boredom of confinement, I suppose these guys were willing to share anything to pass the time, including strange dreams from the night before. Verses 5 through 8 read this way, And one night they both dreamed, that is the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, they both dreamed each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in the master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now you talk about faith. Remember, Joseph was faithful and, and he's, he's asking a pretty big question. He is, he is in faith telling these men, go ahead, or asking these men, please tell me, in faith believing that God was going to give him the answer. That, this man's a tremendous man of faith. Now, Joseph's question, Joseph's question to them earlier, the, 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 the question of why are your faces downcast, that really reveals his character. It, it again demonstrates his concern for them. See, here's the thing. In prison, there probably weren't too many cheerful faces. I'm just thinking, you know, guys didn't go around with big slap-happy you know, smiles on their, on their face. I, I, I'm thinking that there, there was not a, a, an abundance of grins going around the prison. But something bothered them even beyond the normal grind of prison life. And he says to them, why are your faces downcast? We would say it like this. What's up? Something seems to be bothering you. What's eating on you? He was concerned. It revealed his character. It's not just, you know, keep your head down, hope for the best, you know, make it through another day. He was genuinely concerned for another person. Again, this man's character is just amazing. So he asked them to tell him their dreams. Verse 9, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Then Joseph added this, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Now imagine how this scene played out. Just, just imagine this for a moment. Joseph is telling him this interpretation. This guy's got this dream that's just like perplexing. He doesn't know. He, 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 he sees the image he knows what's happened or, or how, but he doesn't know what it means. 
Joseph tells him the good news, and, and the, the cupbearer gets very excited. I mean, especially when he comes to the point where he says, you know, in three days, you're going to be replaced. You're going you're gonna to get your job back. I mean, I think, I think that this guy's downcast face went to, that's great. He's excited. Now, wouldn't you be excited? If you're in one of the worst places ever, and you find out that you're going to be restored to one of the best places you've ever been, you too would be excited. In three days, he would be out of prison. In three days, he would be restored to his place of trusted service. Uh, what a great dream. I love this dream. And I, I don't know, I, I, I like to think of it that, that he, he comes up to Joseph and he hugs him and maybe kisses him on, the, on this cheek right here. He kisses him on this cheek. Can you still hear me? I didn't break it, did I, guys? All right. Chad's going like this. Oh, man. I think he kissed him on the cheek. And he's, man, this is great. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Joseph. Can, can I get you something to drink? I don't know what he did. But he, Thank you. And all Joseph asked was that when it happened, ask Pharaoh to get him out of prison as well. That's all his only request. No, don't, don't pay me back. Don't, don't spring me. Just, just put in a good word for me with the most important man in the kingdom. Now, remember this scene. Imagine this scene. They're sitting there. They're cellmates. They're in this room together. They both have had dreams. And I'm thinking that the baker who was listening to all of this, he was becoming excited, right? He's like, yes. He's like high-fiving the, the, the cupbearer. He's like, yeah, that's great. And he's thinking to himself, you know, wait till you hear my dream. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. <laughs> he smiled. I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. It doesn't describe how Joseph said it. doesn't record the expression on his face. Verse 18, And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three, basket are, the three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and he will hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. There, there were no more high fives. This was not good news. For the baker, it didn't end so well because for the baker, he had just heard that he, he's going to swing in three days. Here's the thing. Now, again, we don't know this. This is purely conjecture. Did he believe it? Did he thank Joseph and say, thanks for telling me I'll get my house in order? Or did he reject it? Did he reject Joseph? 
I don't know. And you don't know. And no one knows. We don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he said, how dare you? It's not going to happen. What is the saying? There are no innocent people in prison. He, he may have said, I'm innocent. He may have rejected what Joseph said, and he may have even rejected Joseph. The Bible doesn't, again, record how Joseph gave the interpretation, but I've observed, and so have you, observed Joseph's character enough that I think he gave the interpretation with tears in his eyes. You know, Joseph cared for this man. He had served him. He cared for him. He had comforted him. I don't think it gave Joseph any delight or any comfort to tell him that he had only three more days to live. Yet here's the thing. It records how Joseph faithfully related both interpretations. You may have read this story many, many times and never noticed that point. Joseph faithfully related both interpretations. He gave the good and he gave the bad. He delighted in giving the one and he grieved in giving the other, but he spoke both. And in speaking both, he demonstrated his faithfulness to God. Let me say that again. In speaking both the good and the bad, he once again demonstrated his faithfulness to God. You can write this down. The same is true today. In speaking God's truth, you and I must faithfully tell people of the salvation that comes with knowing Christ, and we must also tell them the damnation that comes with rejecting Christ. When we speak God's truth, when we speak God's truth, we must faithfully tell people of the salvation that comes when people surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are also called, called to tell people of the damnation, the eternal damnation. You understand I use that term properly. That comes when people reject Jesus Christ. There have been times when I have, perhaps when you have, when you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with someone and they accept him, it is one of the most wonderful moments you will ever experience to be there front and center when someone is born again into the kingdom of God. If you've never, never experienced it, you must. It is powerful. 
when you share the good news and you see them accept, embrace, and begin to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It will be one of the most painful moments that when given the good news, they reject it. But how often do we tell them in rejecting it? And if you continue to reject it, you will face eternal damnation of your soul. Someone told you the good news. Someone shared with you a long time ago, or maybe not so long ago, someone shared with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe that many of you, or most of you, accepted him. But I also know that there are people who can go their entire life and time after time, opportunity after opportunity, reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Very quickly, several years ago, someone asked me to go and visit someone at the hospital. I had never met. They asked me to go and visit someone at the hospital and pray for someone that they said, boy, this person's resistant, but I can't, I can't. Maybe they'll listen to you. I said, I'd be glad to. I immediately went to the hospital. They were on hospice. They, they had advanced cancer, not very old, but advanced cancer. They had hours to live. It was one of the most sad moments of my existence. I went into that room and I introduced myself And that person whose mind was good but whose body was absolutely thrashed with cancer, who looked more cadaver than a live body. And I said, I, you have this and I know that you're you're facing eternity. You know that, I know that. I would like to pray with you Are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready to, when you die, you're going to go to one place or another. But as soon as I mention the name of Jesus, that person who could barely speak, who had very little strength, began to get out of that bed with a face that was so red and so hate-filled, with an oxygen mask on their face and a voice that was raspy, He said, you get out of my room. I have to tell you, I didn't take it personal. I didn't, but my heart broke. My heart broke. Because there's only two choices. There's salvation through Jesus Christ or there's damnation because we reject him. There are no third routes. There are no other places. There are no in-betweens. There's eternal life with Christ or eternal damnation outside of Christ. Now, you probably didn't see this coming. You're thinking, hey, this whole series is about dreams. This is, this is, this is about, this is about uh, God's given me a dream and, and the things that threaten it. And, I, and, and now you're telling me about eternal life and eternal damnation. Well, I am because that's a real part of this story. Part of it is a story of a man who was faithful to God, who was willing to do both. He was willing to serve and minister in the worst of times that God then later used in the best of times. 
or in the best of places, the most effective places. There was good and there was bad. Good news in a bad place so that when there was bad news in a good place, he could be used of God and he was faithful and God put him there. And some of you have been given some things and he wants you, God wants you, the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be faithful with whatever you have. Some of you have been holding out. Some of you have gifts, abilities, time, talent, resources, and you're holding it back and you're thinking, well, it's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's all about you. It's not about you. God gave you those things and he wants to give you more things, but you must use them for his glory and not yours. So even in the worst of times, in the hardest of times, Serve. There are also most of you, maybe all of you, who know people who have accepted and who know the good news. And the good news is that they've been spared from eternal damnation. They've been spared from hell because they accepted the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are also people that you know who have yet to accept him because in one way they, or another they keep rejecting him. But you must be faithful to give the word to both. There are people you know that are going to go to hell if they don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. Sally, where are you, Sally? Sally, you here? Sally called me a couple weeks ago, real quickly. Sally called me a couple weeks ago, asked me to go and pray with another guy. I got another guy I never met. He was really old. I won't tell you how old he was because it may, I, didn't, I don't want you to, I'm not free to mention his name or anything, but she asked me to go and visit him. So I went to a nursing home. He, was on, he too was on hospice. And, and they said, uh, the persons that were there said he's, he's not really conscious. But, you know, I learned a long time ago, I just act like they are. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I had my, he was really old, so I grabbed my King James Version, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what he grew up with. I'm not putting it down. And, and, and I, don't, I don't use it much. I use, yeah, we're not going to go there. Anyway, he, he, because he, he, I, I, he, he would have heard Scripture. And I grabbed that King James Version that I keep in my pickup, and I went in, and, and I began to read that most familiar because sometimes when their minds are, they remember those. So I began to read that 23rd Psalm. And then I sang a song, Amazing Grace. Well, not pretty because I sang it, but it's powerful. It's powerful. And this man who is unresponsive, I'm holding on to his ancient hand he begins to grip it and his eyes opened a little bit and he began to be and he held onto my hand so tightly. I don't know what was going on inside of his head or more importantly inside of his heart but I'd like to think and I'm really praying that maybe just at the last moment I led that man into faith in Jesus Christ and maybe, I don't know, I don't know his story but maybe for the first time in his life he knew that there's a Savior. 
not making a judgment call. He may have given his heart to Jesus a long time ago, and he's just holding on to me. But I know this, he didn't. There was no rejection there. There's somebody you know, my friend, my brother, my sister in Christ. There's someone you know. They need both. They need to hear both the good and, and the bad. Listen, there are people who are living in some kind of a sin. They may even call themselves a Christian, but I'll tell you what, it's still sin. It's still sin. And if they die in unrepentant sin, they too are in danger of going to hell. And sometimes we say, well, I can't tell them. That's, I'm, I can't judge them. Listen, the Bible says certain things. And if the Bible says it's wrong, then we need to tell people there are certain things that will keep you out of heaven and send you to hell. Now, don't do it with delight on your face. Don't do it in a celebratory manner. Say it with tears in your eyes, praying and believing that God is going to touch their heart with truth and that they will repent of their sins and be redirected from hell to heaven. But you better tell them both. Well, I don't want to offend them. Joseph? You know, I'd love to tell you your interpretation, but I might offend you. No, and this guy needed to know. And so does someone you know. I've reached the end of the message. What is it that God is speaking to you? The resources, the means, the, the abilities, the time that you have. What is it that God is, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Put it to work. Put it to work. I've been holding on to it. I need to put it to work. Some of you have, have a tremendous abilities and, and you've used them in a lot of different things. You've used them for yourself, but you've never used them for the glory of God and I'll tell you it's time. And there are people that you know who need to hear both the good news that Jesus saves and the bad news that should they reject him, they will face an eternity in hell. So here's how we're going to close. Would you stand, please, across the sanctuary? This is not one of those messages. Though these altars will be open, please. Though these altars will be open, um, in just a moment, and you can certainly come down here. We're going to close with this song that we sang earlier, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. See, he's the answer to everything. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old song. It may be a very familiar song, but uh, we're, going to, we're going to sing this, and then we're going to close, and I'm going to pray over you, and I'd like you to pray with me as we close. Let's sing this song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Turn your, your eyes, eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the fear.